Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. How are you doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. How you been? Well, I'm better. I'm better than I was in Orlando Code Camp. That is good to hear. <laughs> so a couple weeks ago, you and I were in Orlando Code Camp, and after my session that afternoon, I started getting cold shakes and cold sweats, and for some reason, just 85 degrees, and I was freezing. And later that night, I had the worst nights. I was hot and cold and fevery and couldn't stop coughing, and I was sick. I was just not well. And you had to drive my car back, back south. And uh, how was my car? Does it ride nice? Is it okay? Yeah, the car was pretty nice, man. But I was honestly a little concerned about you. But I'm I'm glad that you're alive and well and not coughing anymore. Because you you know you look like you might have needed some uh, you know some serious medical attention. Yeah, when I get sick, I get this dizziness thing, and driving a dizziness just. They don't go hand in hand at all. I was grateful that you were with me to kind of drive me back home. And otherwise, my parents had to come pick me yeah, up. That, like was, a yeah, that was something else. So what's new with you? So so for about a week now, um, so my son started swimming classes. And it's something that we've been talking about doing for a really long time, right? Um, I'm a swimmer. You know, um, Saki's mom, she's a swimmer. You know, we both swam you know, in our respective countries. And so it kind of just made sense that Cameron was going to, you know, at least know how to swim too. Uh, so we've actually been taking him ourselves, but we kind of decided that, you know, it'll be a good social, you know, experience for him to actually just go to classes and be around other kids and, and kind of just go through the process. So, you know, he's been, you know, he's been loving it so far. He, he gets so excited when it's, you know, time for him to go to class. He's like, is it, is it swimming day? Can I go to swim, swim class today? Um, and funny enough, in my personal opinion, because obviously I'm the, the biased father, he's <laughs> probably one of the best swimmers in, in the group. Um, you know, all the other kids are crying, you know, crying for their mommies and daddies. They're not comfortable. They're a little scared, they're a little shaky, which, you know, that's, that's fine and that's expected. And, but Cameron, he's just chilling, man. He's just hanging out. He's just like, okay, well, let me know when it's my turn. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> and, you know, he does his drills. He comes back, he hangs out and, you know, he's been doing pretty good. And so... Um, you know, hopefully he keeps it up. Hopefully, you know, we, we could get to push him on to the next level when he's older and he can go to the older class and, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. So I was like one of those other kids in Orlando crying for my mommy. <laughs> mommy, could you please come and get Richie? I think he really <laughs> needs you right now. He's not driving anywhere. So who are we talking to today? So today we have two guests representing the Caribou team. So first we have Maxine Tuchman. So Maxine is the CEO and founder of Caribou Inc., an education technology company that helps parents and the extended family read bedtime stories to children when they're far away. She was most recently appointed by President Obama to serve as a White House fellow at the U.S. Department of Treasury, where she served as a senior policy advisor and worked on issues of financial inclusion. Max served as the executive director of Teach for America Miami-Dade. Prior to that, she served in Mayor Bloomberg's bullpen managing the NYC Waterfalls, a public art installation that generated $69 million in economic activity. Damn. That's a lot of money, man. Her commitment to educational equality began as a Teach for America Corps member and has led to her working on educational innovation projects with organizations such as the Harlem Children's Zone, DC Public Schools, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I think she's the most accomplished person to ever be on the show. I, I think so too. And, you know, speaking to her was a little intimidating, to be honest with you, for, for, for a second. Because she was like, oh, well, I did this and this and this and this and this. And I'm just like, oh, okay. So you're like um, going to run for mayor in like a year or so, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'd vote for her. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to vote for Maxine. And so along with Maxine, we also had Alvaro Sabido. So Alvaro is an engineer who has lived in five different cities around the world and has had a lifelong passion for building things, both physical and digital. This ambition has taken him from rebuilding his grandfather's racing motorcycle from the 50s, which he still rides today, to developing his university's mobile app, and recently founding Caribou, an ed tech company based in Miami. 
This episode was recorded on February 10th, 2017, and now our conversation with Alvaro Maxine from Caribou. And now, away from the keyboards, feature conversation. What would you guys tell me a little bit about yourselves? Like, I've obviously never met you or even seen you before in my life. Um, <laughs> pleasure to meet you over the internet kind Damn. of thing, I guess. Likewise. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about your backgrounds? Like, like who are you and, you know, what is it exactly that you do? So my kind of story is, is one of um, moving around a lot. So I was, I was born in Madrid, uh, left when I was one. My brother was actually born in Peru uh, a year before. Um, I then grew up in Mexico for about eight years in Miami, where I kind of grew up in my adulthood of sorts uh, for seven years. Then I went back to Madrid. Uh, then I went to London uh, for a while to study the masters, um, and then I—that's that's where Caribou happened. And then I lived for a bit in San Francisco and I'm back in Miami. Um, so, but in my earlier years, basically, my parents worked for a, a publishing company, Santiana, well, the the umbrella company of that. Um, and so we—that that's the reason why we kept moving around a lot. Um, so it was this—it was this kind of mixture of uh, basically always being away from my extended family. I had always been uh, been away. So communicating with them, you know, in the 90s was was a problem. And, um, and as well, since they were publishing, you know, I was I was brought up with this kind of love of, of reading and literature. Um, so I kind of all brought my life experiences brought it together. Um, when it was kind of the, uh, the concept of caribou. Right, nice. And what about you, Max? So I have uh, always been on the education side and just recently came to the tech side um, out of desperation. Um, but I uh, grew up... Did you show me way around? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in the 305, super proud about that, and um, went through the Miami-Dade County public school system. My parents are... Cuban immigrants, um, and I'm the first one in my family to go to college. So, growing up in in a public school system didn't give me all the resources that I really needed, and didn't give me the rigor that I was always looking for. And I've kind of always used my personal um, struggles uh, in in the school system to kind of influence what I wanted to do with my with my life. And I realized I just really wanted to make sure that no other kid went through what I had to go through, which was really trying to navigate the system by myself, uh, trying to teach myself um, a lot of the, the really hard coursework and uh, just being really dissatisfied and disengaged. Um, so just always was very focused on education. I went to an honors college where I had to write a senior thesis and it was, um, I wrote about education as a tool for social justice, right? Trying to make the case that if we just created a better education system and made sure that everyone received a quality education, uh, we could eliminate a lot of the social ills that people constantly complain about and that a lot of people find themselves um, in. And uh, because of that, went and did Teach for America. So I taught for two years at Northwestern Senior High School in Miami and Liberty City. Um, and those were the two most amazing years of my life. I think my students taught me a lot more um, than I taught them. And, uh, and that's not talking about my, my ability to teach. That's just how incredible my students were. Uh, and they, it was 12th grade. Um, and this is kind of the moment where the impetus for like why I would join a company like Caribou came from. Most of my 12th graders could not read on grade level. Many of them kind of navigating the world uh, by themselves, unfortunately, um, and they were not literate. Uh, and that just frustrated the heck out of me. Um, and I, I just, again, continued to kind of try and find opportunities to make a bigger impact. And so I left teaching, went up to New York and worked for Mayor Bloomberg, uh, who was doing kind of a mayoral control left that, um, went to consulting for a half second, uh, worked at the Gates Foundation, tried to start a startup, um, and uh, finally found myself at Teach for America in Miami-Dade. I was running that as the executive director, trying to make, again, an impact in Miami, uh, my home. And, um, and that's actually when I realized I was like, my gosh, I've seen education from like 15 different lenses, from the city, the state level, uh, from the foundation level, from the district level. I've now run a nonprofit. I've been in the classroom and no one is moving fast enough. No one 
is urgent enough for our kids right now. There's so many kids that are struggling. Um, and I, ed tech was starting to, to really gain um, scale. And I said, that's absolutely the next step. Like, that's where we need to go. And I put up a profile on uh, this website called Founder Dating and was looking for clients and kind of like forgot about it when I left to DC. Uh, and then magically got this like e random email in my inbox in last May. And there's this guy, Alvaro, with this company, Caribou, where he uh, was saying, I'm looking for someone with an MBA with a background in education who wants to move to Miami. Um, are you interested? And uh, the rest is history. Awesome. So I'm listening to you guys and you're, you're talking about all of these things that you, you're seeing in education today, or at least, you know, what your experience was like with education kind of coming up. What are some of the things that you think we could do from a technology perspective to kind of help push, you know, kind of push that educational industry forward a little bit? Yeah, I can I can take a stab at it. And Alvaro, you should definitely add your thoughts. Um, number one uh, is personalization. We now yeah, have the... Huh? I was going to go with that individualized uh, learning. Yeah. It, like, it's just not true that everyone you, you can't just take 30 kids and teach them the same thing in the same way at the same speed just, and we don't have works. to anymore like we used to have to because we didn't have technology and then even when technology was introduced into the schools it was still too expensive and then when the cost went down we still didn't have like wi-fi and broadband everywhere but now it's like there's really no excuse the devices are i mean like it's nominal, the fee. Um, the Wi-Fi and the broadband is, is much, much better. It's available. Um, every child, even if they're from a low-income you know, low population, like they, they have smartphones. Um, it's ubiquitous now. And so there's no good reason that anyone can give me for why we throw a bunch of you know 30-plus kids in a classroom based off their age instead of their mastery of a skill um, or their abilities. Um, to, to comprehend or to, to be able to, to stand the rigor. So um, personalization is like number one. Varu, you got any, anything else you wanted to add to that? Um, <clears throat> I mean, I would say kind of um, there is, there's this, I guess, concept of, of what's called blended learning, um, which is that, uh, that kind of mix of, of the traditional school kind of environment um, with with kind of individualized uh, either reinforcement or, or investment. So, you know, for those kids that, you know, are, are, are much more fluent in one type of subject or something, um, they could they could get, I think the the um, the whole bell curve thing, the there's people, there's kids that are bored because they're they're above their level and kids that are too challenged and are also bored because they're under the level. Um, so it's, it's exactly, you know, what Max said with, um, with individualized, you know, learning and, and that's, I think kind of the main thing, um, you know, you're not, you, you're not where you are meant to be. And, and if you are, if you're lower, you're higher, you have to be challenged at your level and you have to learn your level. Right? That's, that's, I, th I believe like the only way to success. And that's kind of what we want to build. Um, as we as we move from kind of like a, a nice to have reading app to a full blown literacy platform um, where we guide parents and we guide educators and mentors, et cetera, um, to get to understand what level that child is at and to kind of guide them in the progress to to actually, you know, increase the literacy level. Rishi and I both have children, right? And it's it's such a fascinating thing for me to watch my son grow up. Yeah, maybe this is a parent thing and maybe this is just me being an old man or whatever. But, you know, some of the things that I, I watch him do and I watch how he kind of evolves and navigates around technology, right? It's, it's really interesting to me. And I bring it up because I, I always tell the story of when I was when I was younger and when I was in primary school and high school, there, there was no Uber, obviously, right? And there was no Kindle in eBooks. Right? I used to have to walk to the library. The library had no AC, it was hot, and I used to have to sit there for hours flipping through different pages, Encyclopedia Britannica, like all of this type of stuff to, to try and get, you know, a little piece of information. Today, my son knows how to press the button on the tablet. He'll say, 
look for Batman or look for whatever he needs to look for. And he understands how Google works, right? And so information for him is always just so readily available, right? And so it's, it's interesting for me because, you know, the amount of time that we had to do to, to, to get access to data, right, to knowledge is, is, I mean, we just don't have to do it anymore. And, and being able to kind of watch and see how children learn now is, is, is so different, right? And so one of the things I always try to find hard to do is like, how can I keep him constantly engaged and constantly focused, right? Because there's so many things for him to look at, right? And so many things for him to touch and to grab and to hold on to. And so the way that I learned and my learning style, or not even my learning style, but I guess you could say my learning environment, right, was very different to what his learning environment is today, right? And so, but as a parent too, I think we have a huge responsibility in trying to make sure that we kind of give them some guidance, you know, from this young age as to like, what's the, you know, what's the, what's a good path to make sure that, you know, you gain the skills that you need to have. Well, and I think that that's like a a common problem uh, across um, all generations, right? I mean, how many grandparents do you know that are like, is this this Snapchat cosa, you know, like, or Facebook? (laughs) Um, And they're just like so confused about what's going on in the world. Um, And it's the same, like, we're about to hit that too. And I I feel like sometimes I wonder what the real deal with Snapchat is. But um, I think the thing that we always, as parents or as community people who care about the community think about is what is coming, right? And so what is the future that our kids are going to inherit and how do we prepare them for that future? Instead of looking backwards and saying, you know, we're not teaching them the same things we grew up with or we're not teaching them the same way we grew up. Um, I think the more important question is what will what will our kids have to know how to do to be able to compete in this world that we are um, creating for them? And I think as we think back to you made a great point about the tablet and and kids being able to use Google, like learning and memorizing things is not as important. I think there are still some pieces of it that are important, but not as important anymore. It's more now about asking the right questions um, and being able to analyze the information that you get back, whether it's to try and figure out if something is fake news or not fake news um, or, you know, you're, you know, Alvaro and I, for the past couple of days and been trying to put some pitches together and we're like trying to find numbers. And I mean, there's a thousand websites that could give us the certain numbers, but we actually have to try and analyze them and distill them. And I think that's a skill set that kids are needing uh, soon and also creation and problem solving, right? Like uh, we didn't have access to 3d printers when we were growing up, but that's something that, I mean, kids can actually create and prototype things. Um, and that's amazing. And that's exciting. We should be excited about, the fact that kids are growing up in a world that has so much potential and their the access to knowledge uh, is is not based off of how close you are to a library. I think um, that that's something that we're seeing now more and more. We we see the examples of kids in India who you know have access to like not only build their own computer, but as soon as they get on the internet, like the world is just open to them, um, and that that's a great thing. I think. So both of you guys come from, have such different experiences, right? And so one of you is obviously very technical and Maxine, you're very much in the educational side of things. And so it kind of makes sense that you, you've come together and now both of you are working together in this app, Caribou, right? So could you tell us a little bit about Caribou and what does it do and, you know, like what problem is it trying to solve? So I can give you the pitch and then Alvaro can give you kind of the background, um, of what is Caribou, but so we are uh, an ed tech app and we help parents and extended family read bedtime stories to kids when they're far away. Um, We're like a FaceTime meets Kindle, but for kids. And we um, have over 200 books in our platform, over six different languages. We also have educational workbooks. Uh, We have books you can draw on, uh, which create engaging conversations for families. Families are very used to FaceTiming each other when they're far away. And when we say far away, by the way, I mean, it could be a 
mom that's working late or a parent who is active military or a grandparent who lives in a completely different continent um, or divorced parents who have uh, visitation <laughs> uh, agreements and the kids aren't always with them. So there's all different types of uh, reasons why you might be away from your children. Um, this app really brings families together. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of do the, the kind of the beginnings or the background of Caribou, I guess. Uh, uh, you've kind of heard the, the top level pitch. Um, so so basically, the, the 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 story of of Caribou start starts. Well, I was an imperial and uh, with three other guys, and we we came up with this idea that the concept didn't really exist for for children's content. It's kind of like if you take the uh, the enterprise whiteboarding kind of like Google Hangouts type thing. Um, but we wanted to we wanted to kind of bring it to to families as and you know drawing back from my experience of being away from my family. And around the same time, we saw this, there was this photo of, um, of the soldier holding up a storybook to his laptop uh, that kind of was going around. And like, we just kind of looked at it and it's like, there, like, there must be a better way. Like, this cannot be the way that, that um, you know, you, you interact with your kid and you read them a story when you're, when you're far away. Um, so that was kind of like the inception of, of how the concept came about. And, we went through um, we went through a couple of, of the in-house the business plan competitions, and we actually ended up with about ten thousand uh, dollars from Imperial. And so when we graduated back in September 2013, we were like, "Hell, like we don't want to go into you know consulting like like everyone else after business school. Let's uh, let's give it a shot." We had some really good feedback. We had some cash. Um, the four of us, there were two kind of on the business side, and then there was a, a amazing graphic designer and then myself on the tech side so in the founding team we were able to build it in a couple of months and then uh, we launched in january 2014. so maxine one of the things that you'd mentioned when you were talking that i really liked was the fact that you support multiple languages in your app and and i think that's such an important thing for people to do not only just for education, but for you know, just building a product in general, right? Because now you have such a wider audience of people um, available to you, right? So was, was this one of your priorities initially as you guys were creating this application? Um, so the app had uh, six languages when I started, and um, we think it's really important for a couple of reasons. One, uh, we're a global company. We have families in over 145 com uh, countries that use caribou to, to stay engaged with their family. Um, so that that's one. Two, uh, there's a lot of families with a couple of different languages spoken within. So we have our Chinese books and French books that are bilingual. So they're in English and in the native language, which means that if you're reading with a grandparent who may not speak English, the child and the grandparent can still read together and have that experience together, which is mind blowing, right? Like there's not a lot of apps that allow you to do that. There aren't even like even in FaceTime, if the grandparent speaks French and the child speaks English, you it's very tough to kind of communicate. Um, but they can have that shared experience on Caribou. Um, and then third, we really serve a population that is zero to seven right now. We're probably going to expand the age upwards. Um, but zero to seven is when kids are learning. It's the best time for a child to learn a second language. Uh, so this also serves as an opportunity for parents to really practice a second language with a child or for them to explore a second language. Um, so it is our priority to, to add more languages. And another priority is also to diversify um, the stories uh, that, we, that we tell. I think especially uh, my experience working in very, uh, you know, very diverse communities, mainly black communities, uh, Caribbean communities, uh, and Latino communities, we have to tell those stories. These are kids who are growing up, uh, who want role models, who want books that uh, share their experiences. They want to be able to see themselves in those books. So that's actually been a huge priority for me is, is adding, and, and also just different styles of, of families. We have a book that we're about to, to add that's um, two male bears who are in love with each other um, and they want to have a child, but they can't. And so they adopt a baby bear. Um, and there's families out there that have adopted kids and there's um, LGBTQ families out there that 
will hopefully really embrace this book. And there's also families that are not in either of those categories who want to expose their kids to um, the different types of of people um, and families that are out there. And I think that that's something we're really focused on as well. So if you don't mind me asking, where do you source your, your books from? Well, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's actually very simple. We, um, I built a little black box where um, we basically just get the, uh, the PDF that they send to the, if, if they don't have a, a digital version, it's uh, the one they sent off to the printers. And then out comes like a mobile optimized version. Um, so it's actually quite simple. Um, it takes, you know, from one day to the next, you can have it published. And the, it's kind of like a partnership agreement, basically. So um, we split revenues 50-50, and it's kind of an understanding of uh, self well, mutual pro- uh, promotion. So, you know, we, we promote, we have various ways of promoting uh, new content, new books uh, through, you know, there's different categories, new and noteworthy, there's like a banner um, type carousel in the app. We have social, we have the newsletter. Um, and as well, you know, we encourage um, the content providers as well, you know, like, oh, we're on Caribou and we, you know, try with your kids, et cetera. So it's a, it's a pretty simple process on both sides and, and uh, pretty transparent. And so as a parent, when I download your app, do I, is it like an in-app purchasing type deal? Like, do I have to buy particular books or like how does that how does that acquisition for me work right so the the app is free itself um and there is there is about 10 free books i'll try to give one in kind of each category so like there's a free drawing one there's a free early learning one that sort of stuff uh so you can get started right away just sign in you could just you know sign in with facebook it just goes straight through um or with email if you want um and you can get started right away. Uh, calling is free, I think, forever. Um, and then you have, you know, you can draw for free. There's there's a book that I kind of like. Um, took me a long time to design, actually. It's uh, 10 blank pages. But uh, so you can basically just draw whatever you want. You know, if you want to draw, you know, what you did in your day or whatever. Um, and then there's... If you want to, you know, access more books, then there are individual purchases. Um, so they range from, you know, ninety nine cents to uh, three ninety nine for, um, yeah, depending kind of on branding and stuff. Man, I really wish that I heard about this app uh, when my kids were smaller. Right now, my uh, my eldest daughter is eleven and my youngest is seven, and we read every night, um, and it's it's really important for us to read out loud to the kids, right? And now they're older and we still read to them, but it's Harry Potter or it's Peter and the Star Catchers or the Kingdom Keepers. It's it's more young adult now um, because that's kind of where my eldest is. And man, this would have been so amazing, you know, for, you know, when they were, when they were younger and I could just pick up a book and oh, let's see what one we want to read tonight. And it's oh, this one, Daddy, that we read before. Or oh, you know what? Let's just go ahead and download a new one. Click, boom, and it's done. That that would have been amazing. Totally. And and think about also like when you were traveling, um, if you ever had to take hardcover books with you, so that you could do the thing that Alvaro was talking about, where you like kind of were trying to FaceTime and like read to them over the phone. And now you have two hundred books on your phone. Um, that you can do that with. And also one other thing we heard, we spoke to a grandmother who's been on our app actually for two years and she uh, visits her grandson in California. She lives in Florida and she was saying that what she loves about it is that when she goes out to California, they read books together on Caribou, right? So on his iPad. And then when she comes back to Florida, they can still read those stories over and over again. As you guys know, with kids, like they just want to, it's like that best Jay-Z yep. song on repeat. Um, they just <laughs> yeah. want to read the book over and over again. And and so when you're separated by distance, you don't have to compromise that or come up with, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have good night moon on me. So I'm just going to make up a story. Like you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I had to read Green Eggs and yep. Ham just yeah. over <laughs> and over and over. Yeah. And, it, and it used to be, you know, multiple times a night that yep. my daughter yep. would have, make me read that story again and again and again. And it, she was about two and a half. 
And one night she just started spewing out the 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 actual story and I'm following along with my finger and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she's reading. This is amazing. This is the best thing. And, and she's going page over page. I'm like, I, I, this is amazing. She's reading a two and a half and it turns out that she just had memorized the whole story. But that's and also a great <laughs> skill, right? I mean, think about the fact that she's kind of mimicking that. And also again, why we want to get onto the literacy side of the house is that children need to hear a certain amount of unique words um, throughout their day, about 30,000 actually uh, words a day to be able to be competitive when they finally get to kindergarten. When I say competitive, just like on grade level uh, in kindergarten, and then again, reading on grade level by third grade, which is is kind of the critical point. Um, But your child is not only hearing them, which is important, like just in, in passing by, you should be hearing these words, but your child has actually like, completely uh inherited those words and um has has really kind of like now those are her words um which is really important yeah and the interesting thing with with that particular daughter um you know we thought she was going to read really early because we were reading her all the time and um, we decided to homeschool so we really focused on reading and all this stuff but she was the hardest one to teach because uh, she's a kinetic learner and mm. she wants to use her fingers for everything. So math, math was a breeze because we could use manipulatives and we could do all that stuff so she could count. But reading, it took her the longest time just to get going. But man, she's so tenacious when she got going, she really got going. But it, it, I mean, she was not on grade level until I guess about the fourth grade. And then she started picking it up, right? And because she wants to touch everything and it's really hard to touch letters on pages. It's tough. Well, and that's, that's actually where technology again comes into play and is really helping kids out is number one, we have all different types of learners, kinetic learners, tactile learners, oral learners, visual learners. Um, Technology allows for us as teachers to differentiate um, for our kids and to also create different types of activities. Um, People can watch videos. uh, People can work on worksheets. People can draw with their fingers. People can listen to something. You can do uh, multi-modal type of of lessons now, uh, which you weren't able to do before. and, uh, and I just, I think that that's like a piece that we, we forget that I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to have my kid on an iPad. Um, and yeah, the, it's, the context is really important. Like having a kid sit in a chair and look at an iPad for eight hours, that's torture. That's awful. Um, but using an iPad to, to intake information, to use that in a predictive algorithm, to then plan lessons, to create opportunities, to get off the iPad, to look for things, um, to watch videos, to, um, to, to move around the room, those things are really important. Now, I kind of want to talk about the business side of, of Caribou for a little bit. So you guys are a startup based in Miami. How has it been for you in terms of, you know, being able to, to get funding, being able to find talent? Like, what, what are some of the biggest business challenges that you've seen? And, and also, what are some of the, you know, the benefits that you've also seen from being in Miami? So... Miami is is where it's at. Um, I think a lot of people don't think that because they're just jealous. Is is my take on this? Um, I mean, nice. you got to be right. Like, I mean, we have 365 days of sunshine. We have the best weather on the planet. We have uh, just we're kind of in the epicenter of North America and South America. I mean, and Central America. We have great geography. We've got um, we're. I think number two on the Kaufman index for, uh, entrepreneurship. We also have some of the largest, I think it's the highest, one of the highest numbers of of people with a bachelor's and a graduate degree. Like we've got amazing, amazing resources here. And, and those resources are diverse. That's another huge piece, um, that we don't always talk about. And that diversity actually brings, um, to Tony Shea's collision theory, like a lot of collisions between different groups of people and a lot of really interesting, innovative ideas. Um, so when I was looking to either start my own ed tech company or join an ed tech company, like I was hyper-focused on, on doing it in Miami because I do think, you know, I could have gone to New York. That's where ed tech is really happening. I could have gone to San Francisco where just like tech is happening. Um, but I want to be a big dolphin in a small pond versus kind of a little minnow in like a, a big ocean. And, um, 
Miami has, I mean, the, the ecosystem here in Miami, we actually work out of the Cambridge Innovation Center and we just came from Venture Cafe. I was, I'm just every week blown away by the community that is being built down here. Um, and when I say community, that is all the way from investor down to programmer to social entrepreneur um, to co-working space. Like there's so much going on here. And I think back to, to really answer your question about the challenges, I've talked so much about how amazing Miami is, but I think one of the big challenges and everyone says this is, is just the funding. Um, but the, when we say funding, it's actually very specific. So we actually have a, a very, um, sophisticated angel network, not only in Miami, in South Florida, but also in Florida. Um, uh, we don't have as much kind of like post seed capital, uh, but that's growing. Las Olas capital is, is one of our first series a kind of, groups and and they're they're really trying to engage in the community um but someone actually put it in a way that i thought was really interesting we don't have a lot of exits yet and what exits provide is people who have done a startup before or tech talent um, from a successful startup that kind of get reintegrated into the community and either co-found new things or invest in new things um and that's probably the the layer of funding that um that we're most missing, but that's, that's okay. Like we know what our challenges are. And so now we just have to attack them head on and, and solve them. And we've got the right people to solve them. And I think that's a good message for us to kind of let people know, because it's always the perspective of, Hey, if I'm going to have a startup, I'm going to go to Silicon Valley or Hey, if I want to find talent, I'm going to go to Silicon Valley. And you know, there's, there's 50 States in the United States, right? Like there's, there's a lot more stuff happening and kind of like what you said like the diversity that's that's in florida is you know it's 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 amazing right and there's tons of talent there's tons of of really bright and intelligent people right and you know i think what we need is a lot more examples like like what you guys are doing like what the the, the team at Kairos is doing to really have that type of environment and that type of culture here because you know that's just going to breathe more inspiration and more you know encourage more people to kind of get into it yeah. And I think a lot of people that I spoke to, I have a ton of friends who are investors at different firms. And, you know, when I was telling them what I was doing, a lot of them said, yeah, your number one issue. They're, they're like, we love your app. We think your idea is great. We love you. But like your big issue is that you're based in Miami. Um, and I was like, what? Oh, you, I would have jumped through that phone with my big hoops and like <laughs> given it to him if I could have. But like, <laughs> I was just, I was like, seriously, like, give me one reason why like not geog being not, not being geographically close to my investors is, is really that important. When we have Skype, FaceTime, I can actually call them through Caribou. Um, we have email, we have Google Docs. Like explain to me how technology does not solve this problem, first of all. And second of all, we are a, a world that is closer together than ever before. Like why do I have to be in Silicon Valley? Right. Never found a good answer. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But hey, I think what you guys are doing is great, you know, and particularly from the educational side of it, too. I think there's tons, kind of like what you said before, there's tons that could be done with technology and education. So so since this actually is, the name of the show is Away From The Keyboard, right? And so why don't you guys tell me, what are some of the things that you do, you know, when you're, when you're not working? I actually really love um, doing a lot of work on the diversity front, um, especially in Miami. Like I'm always putting together networking events or, you know, trying to diversify tech panels. I feel like there's so many tech panels in Miami that are all male. Um, and because most of our Latinos in Miami are Caucasian, if you were to take a picture of our all male panels, even though it's all Latino males, which is, that's great. That's diverse. Um, on Twitter, it would look like it's four white men. So I'm, uh, very focused on organizing a lot of uh, kind of women to diversify these panels, working with panel makers, uh, constantly thinking about how do we uh, create more equitable mentorship. Um, I signed up for Mentor Day because I didn't see enough female mentors um, at Mentor Day and chose a, a female-led company because I was like, I'm a female-led company and I, I think they need more mentorship. So just constantly paying attention to, to where I see issues and challenges there and, and trying to fix those. That's actually what makes me really happy at the end of the day. The movies are also kind of great. But. I wish I had met you like two, two or three weeks ago because, um, so we're, we're doing this panel 
And, uh, you know, we're doing a panel with LaunchCode. And one of the things he asked me was, hey, you know, we have this panel and there's five dudes here. Could we get a female developer on, you know, on, on stage for some diversity? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No problem. I'll do that. And then I, I had to pause for a second. I'm like, oh, who am I going to ask? Yeah. Can, can, yeah. And <laughs> can I get on my soapbox for like, for like two seconds? Oh, please. Yes, I want it. I want a soapbox. Oh, my God. Okay. So here's what happens. Um, I've broken the process down. Uh, most of the people that are putting together panels, especially in the tech space, happen to be men. It's not a problem, but they just happen to be men. The men put together a panel. And usually when you put together a panel, you go into the network that you're in and you say to yourself, well, I know all these like really great, talented people. I'm going to ask them to be part of my panel. A lot of times the network you're in happens to be male as well. So you go out to all these men, you put together this amazing panel and you really do think you're doing it based off of like, no, no, this is the right person. This is the only person that can speak on this topic. Um, and all of a sudden you step back and you're like, oh my gosh, wait a second. I have five dudes on a panel. Uh, this is not cool. So you do the right thing and you say, you know what, I'm going to call one of the women that I know that's in the tech space. So it's either Joanna Mikola, it's Susan Amat, it's Felicia Hatcher, <laughs> like I can name them. Um, and Nancy Dalberg, you, you call them Maria from Refresh and you say, hey, I would love for you to be on this panel. What ends up happening is that especially people like Felicia, who are minority women, they are constantly being asked to be on panel. Brian Burkeen, right? Like, I mean, you guys had him in your last podcast. Like, the poor guy is trying to run a really amazing, successful company. Um, but he feels a real responsibility, as I do and as a lot of women and minorities do, to make sure that the that the conversation is diverse. And so we feel like this guilt. We're like, oh, my God, if, if we don't go who is going to like be there and be that voice. But we really do have like a lot of commitments and a lot of other things that are going on. And so this panel maker says, you know, Hey, can you do this panel? You know, Felicia says, I'm sorry, I'm speaking in Berlin that weekend. Like I've got 17 other things I got to do. And the panel maker gets deflated and says, Oh, well, I tried. I guess we have a panel full of dudes. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I've been really trying to work on in our ecosystem is introducing incredible women uh, to other women. Maria from Refresh does this. She's got a women in tech happy hour that she does. And it's really important for us to get to know each other and to meet each other because we then become referrals for each other. So now someone says to me, hey, Max, can you be on this panel? We really want, you know, a, a cool ed tech company. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm pitching in Atlanta for this competition. Um, but what about these three women who I think would be excellent. And actually you should probably put two or three of them on, like don't just add one token woman. Um, and we've been working on this actually before I left to DC and, and we've seen really great changes um, in the landscape. And we've seen people actually come to a couple of us women who are involved in this and actually ask for, for help and for feedback and advice. And I, I'll call out Peter from Mentor Day. I thought he was incredibly receptive. I think sometimes people... Uh, when I point out the lack of diversity, get very defensive, rightly so. I completely understand where that comes from. Um, and, you know, I'm trying, I tried, I, you know, I, whatever I looked and I couldn't find anyone. And it's actually statistically impossible to have a panel full of just men, just so everyone knows there's research on this now. Um, and so, but I, I thought Peter from Mentor Day was incredibly receptive and, and actually said, I, I'd love your help. And I was like, I would love to help. Um, and, and I think that that's the way that we can start uh, doing more is again, women knowing more women so that they can refer them and, and to, uh, men, uh, being really open to kind of creating more opportunities and to seeking that advice and to, to getting that help from other women. And, you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent when we're putting together this, um, this event, you know, obviously I'm going to ask the people that I know. Right. And so when I look around at my workplace in the past yeah. as a software developer, most of the people that are around me, 90% of them are men. And so I, I'm going to ask the people that I know. So it's definitely not one of those, hey, I'm intentionally trying to do this. Absolutely. But it's a case of, you know, I'm not just going to go ask some random person, you know, because I can't, no, I can't comment on a person. I can't like, you know, I can't vouch for their, you know, I can't vouch for them. Right. And so I, I'd feel a little weird just asking somebody I don't know to do that. Um, and also, too, you might think I'm crazy. Like, who's this weird dude coming to ask me to go and stand up in front of a room for the people, right? No, it's an honor. So, it's, you know, especially for women who don't get asked to do these things a lot, it's 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 really like 
uh, it's awesome to, to hear from someone like, hey, I've heard about you. We heard that you're great and we'd love for you to be on our panel. And like women don't get those opportunities all the time. And it's, it's exciting. And that's, again, back to the referral thing is you trust me um, to be on your panel. And I could then tell you, actually, I've met these two women. They're incredible. I met them at this tech happy hour. They're awesome. They're exactly what you're looking for. Trust me that this referral is legit. And and that's what that's right. why we're trying to do it in that way with that model. Because back to your point, you're absolutely right. Like this is your panel, and and you do want the right people on it. So what I'm going to do from now on is I'm going to lean on you. Call me anytime. <laughs> I swear this is and like I'm going to be like, hey. We are, we're going to do this thing in a couple of weeks or a month or whatever the case is, you know, could you please, you know, introduce me to some people that might, you know, be interested. Yeah. Oh, and one last thing. Um, so sometimes there's no option. So perfect example, back to Maria, cause she's amazing. Um, she put together a panel at refresh that was about, um, post seed funding, right? So companies that had gotten funding post-seed. Um, you can't, like, this ecosystem is still very young. Uh, we don't actually have that many companies that have gone post-seed. And so the amount of female-led companies that have gone post-seed is even smaller. Uh, and Maria realized, my gosh, I have these four guys on this panel, um, and I need to have some more uh, more women. Uh, but we couldn't, we asked the three women who had uh, raised seed, uh, post seed funding. And all three of them were again, you know, busy as usual. Um, and so Maria was actually really creative. There's two ways that you can kind of add more female voices. One is the moderator, right? So if the person, um, so for example, I haven't raised post seed, um, but I could maybe moderate the conversation and ask the questions, um, and kind of guide the conversation. So that's one way to introduce more women's voices. But two, uh, what Maria also realized was she's like, wait, we actually have companies pitch before the panels. Uh, so why don't we have caribou featured? So we got to pitch last week, um, at the refresh event, had over a hundred people. We got to get caribou's name and, and, and what we do out there. Um, and, and it went over like amazingly well. Um, and so now there's a bunch of people walking away saying, wow, we have female led companies here in Miami and they're, they're great. We'd like to thank Maxine and Oliver for being our guests on the show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with them both. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also, remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AFTKpodcast and on Twitter at AFTKpodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Cecil Phillip and Richie at Jarris. That's J-O-R-R-I-S-S. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, Sign up to the newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind the scene access to Wave the Keyboard. Next on Away from the Keyboard, we'll be speaking to entrepreneur Joe Overly. This one's a pretty interesting one, too. Yeah, it was. But you know what's even more interesting? What's that? We actually recorded an extra episode in Orlando. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. What are we going to do with that? Oh, you know, we're going to release it uh, probably to the newsletter folks first. But here's the, here's the deal with that we talked about our favorite movies. And your list really surprised me. Did it it really, really did. Oh yeah, man. I think it's gonna surprise a lot of other people too. I, I you know, I looked at my list and I'm like, yeah, of course those would be my favorite movies. But you know, some of yours I did not I did not peg. I did not peg at all. So it, it's 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 worth a listen, absolutely. Yeah. I think what'll be interesting too is if we could get some of the listeners to to post some of their favorite movies to us. You know, you can at away from the keyboard us and, and let us know what some of your favorite movies are. Yeah, just go to the wayforthekeyboard.com and uh, go to the extra episodes when we post it. And it hopefully will be in the next couple weeks here. Boom, sounds good. Let's do it. Peace. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
I, I'm one of those people that I like to read the updates, right? Like, so whatever an yeah. app updates, like I want to know what it changes and seeing something like star bug fixes and miscellaneous improvements. I'm just like, what the hell is that? Like, like, what does that yeah. mean? You know what I mean? Like, it's the most annoying thing for me to read. <laughs> well, I particularly as a, particularly as a software guy too, myself, right? Like Richie, Richie and I are obviously both software guys. It's well, what, what am I putting on my phone? Right? Like, what did you change? Because obviously, yeah. if you put in a new feature, tell me about the feature, right? Like, let me go play with it. But if I don't know what to look for, then, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, whatever. I could ignore this. I totally disagree with you, Cecil. I couldn't disagree with you more. You could go ahead and update your phone apps, and I'm going to go ahead and hit update all, and I could care, couldn't care less about <laughs> what is done on my phone. Now, when Visual Studio Code does an update, I'm reading all of those, or when Visual Studio <laughs> updates, but it's then the same I'm reading thing, it all up. But on my phone, I, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> you yeah. know why? Because you got too many apps on your phone, dude. That's what the problem is. I, I, I've been told this. I, I'm in that boat. I have about 300 apps. Whoa! Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have folders for my folders. <laughs> okay. Oh. I didn't even but, know you could do that. You could have like multi-level folders. Are you serious? No, no. Actually, I haven't tried, but I probably should. He <laughs> um, will figure no, out. I only have, I only have oh two pages. Gosh. One is one is icons, and then the second page is all folders. And each of them now holds, you know, like four times four. So that's yeah, quite a Wow. Very very okay. organized in that sense. Yeah. So um, since so since we're kind of already away in chatting, why don't we? Um, why don't you guys tell me? A little bit about yourselves. Like I've obviously never met you or even seen you before in my life. Um, <laughs> pleasure to meet you over the internet. 